From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're listening to Germ Warfare with Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Germ Warfare at tntradio.live. That's my email address. Thank you to those who uh, send me mails. Uh, special thank you to those who uh, include where in the world they are mailing from. It's my favorite part. I always look for that first. Uh, whenever somebody sends me an email, I first look to see where they are mailing from, just because it's so interesting to me. It's really fascinating how the internet has made uh, the world so much smaller and um I mean, 20 years ago, it, I wouldn't have been able to say this. It's just, it's just an incredible paradigm, you know, the, the way in which things have moved. And I, I really, really am loving it. I, I love the fact that somebody will email me from the Maldives or from Bermuda or, uh, dare I say it, from Australia. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, jump into the live chat and say hi also. All right, Murray, my name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ice. Clashing on the controversies. It's a woke society, and I am fed up with it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Again, Brian Berletic, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, and uh, as, as far as I know, this is going to be a very interesting and perhaps a little bit of a different conversation that we're going to have. Yeah, I mean... As you and I were talking a few minutes ago, this is one of those topics that uh, not enough people actually talk about, and yet it's so important. I mean, let's be honest, we're talking about Malthusianism. Um, I mean, what is that, and why should we be talking about it? Well, we're, we're talking about Malthusianism. We're also talking about the, the future of human civilization when, when we're talking about it and alternatives to it. So uh, Malthusianism is this obsession it's a, a socio-political obsession with the idea that human beings are overpopulating the planets. There's a, a infinite demand. There's finite resources, and eventually we're going to run out of resources. There will be a catastrophic population collapse or so societal or civilizational collapse, and we need to we need to ration everything. We need to begin preparing this for this. We need to uh, tell people how many children they can or cannot have. And uh, if you if you study human civilization, if you study technology engineering, you understand that this this is baseless. It, it is has been consistently wrong since. This all began, I believe that the man's name was Thomas Malthus. This was, I think, in the 1800s or 1900s. This really took off. And uh, uh, we're having this conversation because you had on uh, Cynthia Ch Chung, and it was a, a great conversation, a refreshing conversation, talking about Malthusianism, the background of it, and uh, also why it's completely wrong. These predictions mm. of population collapses have been consistently wrong. And you'll, you'll see them talking about it by, by this year, there'll be this many people and the world cannot, cannot support it. And then by the time you get to that year, there's many, many more people and there's no collapse anywhere in sight. So what, you know, what is happening? Why is that happening? Why is Malthusianism such a, a toxic and I would say uh, obstructive ideology is certainly not science and mm. what is the alternative i guess that that's what we can talk about it's interesting because the idea that there's always a doomsday or a perma crisis or <laughs> permageddon you know like there's always this perpetual uh, end in sight you know we need to uh we need to stop i don't know this or stop that because 
humanity is going to die out. It's that idea used to be relegated to religions or cults. The irony is that it's not. It's completely in the establishment. Absolutely. And if you look at certain religions and, and certain organized religions, I should I should specify in cults specifically, uh, most of this is a, a way to panic people and also control them. And that is exactly what this Malthusianism uh, ideology does as a, a political ideology and as implemented by certain governments around the world. I would say this is mostly a, a Western concept or Western obsession, and I should be more specific, the current circles of interest driving Western foreign and domestic policy. They're utterly obsessed with this. Now, it doesn't mean that there, there aren't challenges that we face as as human civilization. And it doesn't mean there aren't things that we need to do to prepare for these challenges. But uh, the, the idea that it's inevitable and we have to change the way we're living, uh, we have to give up certain things, we have to give up the idea of abundance, this is absolutely flawed. And it's it's proven that that, that, is, not, that is not our destiny, that is not inevitable. Uh, and I should make it clear, the, the moment, the first human being, whenever it was tens of thousands of years ago, they decided to pick up a tool because they refused to allow the natural limitations of the terrain around them to, to determine whether they live or die. From that point onward, human beings were supposedly overpopulating. Uh, and they used these tools to get more from the the environment around them than they could with their nat with, you know their natural means their their hands their arms their legs they began using what what we now call and take for granted as technology to el eliminate these limits to growth to human growth this the growth of human civilization and it has always been a race between the limits that we see at any given time and our ability to advance technology to overcome them and we have consistently won that battle all throughout history we have won that battle we will continue winning that battle because uh human innovation is is something that gives us a huge advantage over other species on the planet who are unable to do this and who do uh suffer i guess you could say corrections in, in terms of populations here and there uh, nature will will rebalance it to a certain degree for human beings, we have the ability to overcome that with with innovation. Yeah, and one of the one of the things I like about this conversation is that it's a, it's a bit less blackpooled. I mean, I don't mean to trash you know people who who follow us, but a lot of them fall into the trap of seeing everything as as evil and controlled by the oligarchs, and they have these superhuman strengths, and we just are just victims, and we can never find a way out. The the irony is that we do and we always have um, and human nature is something that's incredibly important and often forgotten. Absolutely. And uh, even if you look at the world today, there are uh, groups of people, even entire nations that reject this idea of uh, limits to growth. They understand the importance of technology, engineering, of creating abundance for their population. And we we could even talk about China who who used to yeah. fall into this Malthusian trap and they they had limited their population. Now they're they're doing everything in their power to get uh, the Chinese population to to have more children now. Uh, and it's because you look at the the reason they they hit these limits it was because of 
the management of resources. It was about the geopolitical realities in that time that were causing people to starve, to suffer. The you know, if you look at history and you look at what was happening in China uh, before the world wars and directly after the world wars, it was it was war. There was all 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 of this warfare. The West had been in the process of colonizing China, and that is what created artificial scarcity that really was a danger to the Chinese population. It was something they absolutely had to overcome. And you can debate, and even Chinese people do debate, whether uh, those measures taken, the one China policy, were the right measures. Uh, but now they can see clearly the the actual solution to this problem is not controlling people. It's creating abundance. And that is what they're doing all across the country. And we see countries around the world turning to this. And we even see people in the West, certain circles of, of uh, interest in the West who are committed to this as well. They're, they're far and few between, but they exist and there's something there to, to build on. Mm, that's a key point, abundance, uh, because abundance doesn't mean excess. Um, and whenever there is abundance, we find ways to regulate uh, without the need to have some sort of Malthusian um, top-down uh, approach. Absolutely. Uh, if you if you look at a, a modern nation state, uh, most of the time, uh, there's a combination of central planning and market mechanisms that uh, control uh, the distribution of resources. And uh, we, we have to continuously focus on the creation of new resources or new ways to use resources so that we could do more with less. We also find more resources than we had believed existed. And, and actually, uh, going back to that conversation you had with Cynthia, uh, she was talking about how there were all these different resources that at the time, that's we thought this is how much exists on Earth. We didn't realize that there actually, there actually was much more of all of this than we realized. And it was just a means of finding it, reaching it, mm -hmm. uh, developing technology that enabled us to do that. So that should be where the focus is, not rationing what we have. And, and it's this thinking in only three dimensions, the here and the now, and then projecting that into the future, that is incredibly flawed. You have to think in four dimensions. You have to think in terms of time and think in terms of how technology will develop over time. So if you say 10 to 20 years from now, uh, we'll run out of whatever resource, uh, oil, peak oil. I mean, remember that conversation. Uh, what happened What happened yeah. to peak oil? Uh, but, but then you have to consider the technology that is going to be used to, to expand our access to that, different forms of energy that we could use to augment uh, things like oil. And in 10 or 20 years, it'll be a completely different story than people who are only thinking in three dimensions. Imagine it's, 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 very it's a very limited way of looking at the world. And you cannot create policy based on that because it is utterly incomplete. It's like not looking at the weather outside before planning your, your day. You know, you have to look and see what is actually happening outside, not what was happening yesterday, the last time you looked out the window. You have to constantly check and, and use this to adjust what your policies are going to be and, and kind of be more flexible in terms of your policies, we, we see draconian policies, especially connected to, to climate change. And again, mm. this is, I don't understand why people do this. And I think we've talked about this many times before. People are fully aware that they're being lied to by the Western media, by, by 
representatives of Western governments about all of these other things. What makes you think that the, the climate is the one thing they're telling the truth about? Absolutely not. Uh, but that doesn't mean we're not having an impact on the climate or we shouldn't uh, think of ways of minimizing that impact. But we have to see what's really going on. We have to look through the, the corruption that is uh, transforming genuine concern into draconian control. But Brian, it's it's the experts. I mean, they are completely trustworthy. Well, well, again, I mean, we've seen these so-called experts uh, referred to <laughs> for everything, for uh, whether or not there's weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Uh, we, you know, we we just watched this whole uh, pandemic or what, what a health crisis or a crisis created over health concerns, and we we saw big pharma driving that. We know that we know that that's what they do. Uh, I have repeatedly gone into the Department of Justice's, uh, uh, their, their files that are available publicly on their website about all of these legal cases against companies like Pfizer, how criminal and corrupt and also incompetent they are. And these are who we've given control of to for, for healthcare. And it's the exact same story in terms of, of climate. They're not going to fix any actual problem that we may have with the climate. They're going to exploit concern over to control people. So it's, it's a component of Malthusianism. They're using that fear to control people. They have no intention of solving any problem they're actually going to continue creating problems. So uh, mm. if you talk about limits to growth, theoretically, there should be no limits to growth. Human innovation can always find a way, uh, but the actual limits are imposed by corrupt and incompetent leadership. And I think across the West, there's a serious problem with this, and it is holding back uh, the West and also the, uh, you know, the collective human race, I believe. Just in terms of limits to growth, um, that is actually a, a phrase that was coined by uh, the Club of Rome. Um, when was it, the 1970s, they were using Malthusian um, uh, ideas, which they then plotted uh, via computer modeling, if I'm correct. Yeah, at, so, at, something at MIT. Yeah. Yeah, something MIT. like that. And, yeah. and, and the thing about computer models is that they impress people that don't understand how computer models work. You can make a computer model show you anything you want it to, to show you. Uh, you. You have to make an actually convincing case about it. You have to cite evidence. You have to explain it thoroughly. What they do instead is they hand wave to the computer model, and that's supposed to just shut down any sort of conversation and debate. When you have people trying to shut down a conversation or a debate about the future of the human race and that yes. that should be concerning to everyone and that should be your first clue that you're not being told the truth no but the computer models say that we're all going to drown we're all going to drown next tuesday ago. Brian. please 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 stop using your light bulb and um and uh and stop driving your car yes and if you look at these predictions uh, they they said we we're going to drown we're going to die we're going to run out of food 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and yet here we are, uh, more, more people than ever. 
And, and the peak uh, oil thing. <laughs> exactly. Like people completely <laughs> forgot about peak oil. And I remember how people were panicking and they, they used to send me emails and ask me about, oh, Brian, what's going on with this peak oil? And, uh, you know, they were just driving hysteria and they were using mm. the hysteria to control people and make decisions they couldn't have in uh, under any other condition. We saw them do the exact same thing with the so-called war on terror. They're doing the exact same thing right now as they, they build towards uh, some sort of confrontation with both Russia and China. And they are destroying their own, you know, the West especially is destroying their own civilization by by pursuing this, this course of action. When in reality, what they should be doing to actually compete with, or I would say uh, better yet, cooperating with uh, China, Russia, and other nations around the globe, start investing in the tools and the human resources that you need to overcome mm -hmm. these problems for real. And that means investing in education, investing in infrastructure. These are the things that are going to allow us to continue growing, not just growing into the future, but doing it so that there is abundance, so that everyone can live a comfortable life because it is possible. Uh, again, we are living examples right now that all of this Malthusianism uh, thinking does not work. It It is wrong. They are consistently wrong. That's the only thing they get right all the time is that they will always be wrong. And so uh, we have to think of an alternative to, to fill the void that Malthusianism un unfortunately fills right now in terms of Western thinking, at least in certain policy circles. Brian Budetic, don't go away. My name is Jim. This is TNT Radio. You should hear what Chris Smith is talking about. Lomborg has long maintained that wealth and an abundance of energy sources are the key elements required to help the world solve threats to our existence, which is why he opposes the obscene amounts of money the United States, the UK, Europe and Australia are spending on climate change, which can only reduce that wealth and make us all weaker. Yes, climate has costs, but so do climate policies. We rarely talk about the fact that as we are making more and more climate policies, that also impacts us negatively. That actually pulls away resources from us. Just to take a look at energy prices here in the UK, energy prices have been coming down for the last two centuries, but now they're starting to go up because of climate policy. But why doesn't the mainstream media's political class ask those correct questions when politicians make humongous spending announcements on, for instance, renewable power? Where are the right questions? Like, what's the cost-benefit analysis of this project minister. They never ask the question. And you know why they don't ask the question? Because the left-leaning mainstream media, they're climate change evangelists as well. They don't want to find holes in such grand renewable plans because that's not part of the environmental narrative. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. <laughs> No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk the conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Brian, I love this 
this uh, thing you said to me, uh, I think it was earlier today, in, where you pointed out that technology grows exponentially. Yes. And again, this is another mistake a lot of people, a lot of policymakers make, actually. They look at where technology is right now. They look at how it has advanced in, say, the last five or 10 years, and they just imagine in a linear way, it's just going to continue growing into the future. And then they actually make very poor policy decisions based on that. When in actuality, if you study the the, the progress of technology is exponential. It's constantly improving. So if you looked at it, it's a, it's a curve on the graph going up. And so you, you look at periods of human history where, you know, it was horse and carriage for hundreds and hundreds of years, not thousands of years. And then suddenly you have uh, cars, airplanes, spacecraft uh, in a very short succession. You did not need thousands of years in between because industrialized human civilization and the advance of technology is growing exponentially. If you look at specific forms of technology, computer processors, for example, is not growing in power uh, in a linear fashion. It is exponential. So they will continuously grow at a faster rate. Uh, the, the performance will improve at a exponential rate. And then when you understand that and you look at, say, the, the, the human population, its growth or our, our use of resources, this gives us a tremendous uh, advantage. We're able to develop technology uh, much faster than I think a lot of people realize. And we're able to overcome these, these challenges, these supposed limits to growth. And, uh, you know, this is, this is something that's so important for policymakers uh, to understand. And yet so many of them have no understanding of it at all. If you look at their backgrounds, they're, they're lawyers, uh, they're career politicians. They've never worked uh, a, a real job a single day in their life. And they have no mm. idea of how in industry works. And we've talked about this in terms of the, the proxy war the US is waging against Russia and Ukraine. And these are people that are so obsessed with this proxy war, but they didn't they don't understand how their own military industrial base operates or the fact that Russia is able to produce more than they are. They don't understand all the factors and variables that prevent them from just they just say, well, we'll just increase production, but it's it's actually not that easy. And there's a lot of variables that you need to understand that they apparently don't understand. If they don't understand uh, that in that regard, what do they understand about anything in terms of, of industry, mm. technology and all of the factors that contribute towards it versus, say, uh, China, where most of the people in a leadership position have uh, degrees in engineering. Uh, they have worked their way up from the village level all the way up to where they are right now. And they have have actually worked in their lives, uh, manual labor in, in cer certain cases or uh, technical jobs uh, where they have to understand how things actually work. And that gives them tremendous insight in deciding policy. And we can see the difference. If you've ever been to China, you see the infrastructure, you, you see how things are managed there. It's like day and night compared to where the US is going. And in China, things continue to advance forward. People are very hopeful there that the idea of abundance is appealing to people there. Why, whereas in the West, you see a lot of pessimism and it's because they're run by incompetent leaders who don't know what they're doing. They're running everything into the ground. I like to compare it to a family business 
taken over by uh, the the kid who's a spoiled brat, and he doesn't doesn't know or even care how to run the business. He just wants to extract value from it. He doesn't care what happens to it in the future. That's a an interesting point that you're making. I mean, scarcity is a great tool for um, control and for making money. So climate change, for example, uh, well, think about it. We want you to pay a carbon tax. All right, so if I give you a bit of money, somehow you're gonna change the course of, of you know, global temperatures. Um, but it's it's a wonderful way to extract uh, income from from people. And, it's, and it's, it's invisible. So you can't see the change in the climate. So you have to trust the experts. So you're back to square one again, where you don't know where to go. I will posit that I've never seen any of these of these um, scarce resource claims. I mean, for example, if I fly between Cape Town and Johannesburg, Brian, about 98% of the land below me is completely empty. It's either farmland or just nothing. So there's, where I live, there's absolutely no evidence of overpopulation. And secondly, when people make claims about, oh, it's getting so hot this summer. Well, I've just had the wettest winter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so, yes. so in other words, I'm, I'm getting an abundance of normal, you know, natural, um, natural occurrences, but I'm being told all the time that uh, this is not normal. Absolutely. And and this is what they do. And uh, dur during the commercial break, we're actually also talking about the left right paradigm. Uh, we talk about these conflicts that are ongoing and uh, the, the leadership class in the West. This is what they use to distract and divide people. And people are so worried about the outcome of this conflict here or um, uh, fears over things like climate change or or their health. They don't have time to even to think about any sort of alternative, let alone contribute toward one of these alternatives. And, and then when people do get together to work on these alternatives, they're there to squash them. I, I remember this very vividly. There was this movement, the do-it-yourself biology movement, DIY bio. And what it was, was just ordinary people getting together. They wanted to take healthcare and um, uh, genetic tools and make them open source so that everyone had access to them so that there was a balance of power so th these powerful tools were not concentrated in the hands of corrupt corporations like monsanto or pfizer or uh glaxo smith klein uh, and so that movement began building there was hardware there was software there was there were all these projects uh, building up it was becoming it was gaining momentum and then what did the the establishment do did they say well, this is great you know we're, we're going to expand access to to healthcare we're going to lower the costs and the barriers to it no what they did was they said this is a national security threat the fbi is going to come to all of these groups and uh, put themselves in the middle of it and i i noticed a lot of uh, friends and colleagues who are working on projects with me i noticed them one by one going to these uh, five-star hotels at these uh, big pharma get-togethers, and then they were just disappearing. And I would say, you know, what happened? Why aren't you working on this anymore? And they said, well, you know, Brian, they sat me down, they explained it to me. It, ha it has to be this way. And it's, uh, no, it's you You liked your five-star hotel and you want to get in with, with big pharma. And you thought you cared about this issue. What you actually care about is getting recognition and money. And that, that's the unfortunate uh, reality of human nature. And that's something that we have to think about ways of getting around it. Uh, human nature is our biggest obstacle to solving this problem. The, 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 the 
technical limits to growth can be overcome by human innovation. Our human nature is our our worst enemy in this case. The thing is, though, I I don't see evidence of any resources being limited at all. The whole oil thing was a hoax. I mean, I think I read something the other day that most of the oil wells have they've they're not empty at all. They just they just keep replenishing. Um, so there's almost no evidence that there's uh, too little oil. There's no evidence in my mind that um, that the oceans are rising, uh, are rising. I've seen photographs of my own city from 100 years ago, and it looks exactly the same. I've seen the same photographs of, I don't know, places around Australia and other parts of the world. There's no sea level rise anywhere other than high tide and low tide. Um, but the idea of scarcity, I think, only exists in terms of critical thinking. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. And, and well, let's just say that the, the sea is rising or that temperatures are rising. If people study the natural history of the Earth, it has shifted wildly over the Earth's existence long before human beings ever showed up. During the Cretaceous period, this was uh, the age of dinosaurs, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, uh, dinosaurs like that, that, that people might remember from their childhood. There, there, there was no snow in Antarctica. It was a temperate climate. There were forests and dinosaurs in Antarctica. You go, go look it up if you don't believe me. They have National Geographic articles about paleontologists that that study the dinosaurs that lived in Antarctica. Yeah. Uh, sea levels were higher. There was an inland sea in the middle of uh, what is now the United States. So the climate is going to change whether we like it or not, whether we do anything <laughs> yeah. about it or not. But the Sorry, Brian, I'm no. jumping in. But yes, yeah, the, sure. yes, the funniest part. Sorry, sorry, sorry for, for, for cutting you off there. But I was just recently in the Netherlands and the, the most of the country is below sea level. So what have they done? Well, they've just literally built a wall and they've, you know, they've found ways around it. I mean, if the sea if the sea level is rising by just a few centimeters over however many decades, well, I don't know, just build a little bit higher. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going. I was I was going to say, what if what if the sea level is going to rise just like it did uh, in the Cretaceous period? What if it's going to rise regardless of what human activity is or isn't? You still have to deal with that rising sea level. How are you going to stop it? The, the way you deal with it is uh, uh, adapting to it. And that is exactly what they've mm. done in the Netherlands. And this is a good, this is again, this is a good way to compare competent uh, leadership relying on human innovation versus utter corruption and incompetence. Look at the United States and their flooding. Look at the Netherlands and their, uh, you know, many opportunities for flooding, but they don't have flooding. Wh why? What is the difference? In the United States, they have corrupt insurance companies that encourage everyone to get flood insurance, which you, you wouldn't be able to convince people to buy if there weren't constantly floods. And then they take state money and they pump it into these areas that are flooded to just rebuild everything exactly the way it was before the flooding and never do anything at all to address the flooding. In the Netherlands, just like you say, they built walls, they built gates, they have a whole system that manages flooding. Uh, the, the rivers are able, they're able to control the rivers and which one overflows, which one doesn't. They have certain areas designated to, to be flooded, to save you know places where people are actually living. And they've they've invested huge amounts of money into this to make life comfortable for the people, comfortable and more importantly, safe for the people living there, rather than just trying to extract as much wealth from everyone as possible. 
through scams and leaving people completely unprotected, which is what's going on in the United States. And it, was, it wasn't always that way in the U.S. If you look back, there were these huge infrastructure drives uh, in U.S. history that, that built dams, that built ways of controlling flooding and, and rivers, but they've just allowed all of this to atrophy and, and they just don't care anymore. Uh, they don't maintain what they have built. They don't build what is what is needed for the you know the population centers that are growing or moving into different areas. So that that right there is night and day, A and B, we can look at these two situations. We should not allow the people who are allowing flooding to take place in the US scare us into thinking that that's just inevitable. We have to accept that. And if we if we want to mitigate that, we should have less kids, we should consume less resources, we should do more for less. That that's for their bottom line. That's not for the the, the collective good. Look at the Netherlands. They take they take everyone's money and they actually use it for the collective good. And that's done in a lot of countries. Here in Thailand, Bangkok is below a lot of parts of it are below sea level. The flooding had been a huge problem. And over the years, they have been incrementally chipping away at it and has been getting better. They built these huge, massive five meter wide tunnels under the city to redirect water to try to uh, prevent flooding in certain areas and so it can be done it could be done anywhere you just have to have the willpower you have to have leadership that has that's at least semi-competent and committed to the, the to the greater good of the population rather than just parasitically feeding off of them and indifferent to their fate yeah but brian one of the one of the problems here is that you're talking about something that goes beyond victimhood culture and too many people who follow our work, for example, have bought into the idea that they're just victims. They're just perpetual victims, and there's no way out. They'll never, they'll never beat the oligarchs. Uh, they are super, super powered individuals who just control everything and will always keep us down. That's just simply not true. It's not. It's not true. And you have to take time to, you know, just as the art of war says, you have to know yourself. You have to know your enemy. You have to get to know these policymakers in the U.S. Where, where, and, and in Europe who are driving these policies that we don't like. And the more you get to know them, the more you you understand that, no, they're not super intelligent, far from it. They're ruthless. They're like a, a, a mafia on a global level. That's what they are. And they're simply ruthless and they're willing to do things normal human beings with, with a, a balanced mindset would never do because they're greedy, they're selfish, they have a, a superiority complex. And that's it. And these kind of people can be beaten. They already are being beaten. If you look at multipolarism, it is displacing the current global order that the U.S. and its allies created and have been using to extract wealth from, from people all around the, the globe at the detriment of everybody on the globe. We see a completely different world forming and we can all find ways to contribute toward that. And uh, again, for the, for the United States, it, it is a huge uphill battle that you're going to have to fight. In, in order to build infrastructure, you have to have tremendous human resources who are trained in things like engineering, science, uh, different, different disciplines of design. Uh, they have to be familiar with modern design tools and, and engineering tools. And this is something that's been tremendously neglected in the United States. I, I always, again, go back to China. They graduate millions more engineers, scientists, uh, and uh, uh, different disciplines that are necessary to build these, these tangible uh, infrastructure projects. You have neglected that in the United States. This is being neglected more and more in Europe. Germany is deindustrializing itself. 
they're not going to be able to continue doing this. You have to invest in that. You have to fight for that to be built back up because that literally is the future of the West. And uh, if it's allowed to go down the drain, so is the West. Mm, it's actually very noticeable. Uh, China doesn't really care too much about limits to growth. It's doing what is best for Chinese people. In the West, um, they are lit quite literally forcing the shutting down of anything that that um, accelerates growth in any sector. Yes. And actually, when you really look at the, the core concern that Western policymakers have, it's their monopolies being touched. It's not it's not because there are limits to growth. They just don't want they don't want competition. They don't want innovation that forces them. They themselves, these monopolies to innovate. And I, I just did a video about SpaceX and their Starship flight tests. And I tried to explain why uh, their approach is to test to failure. They're, they're not concerned about having a perfect test flight. They, they, they want to fail so they can see what they need to improve. They don't want problems hiding from them. Uh, but I was comparing SpaceX to United Launch Alliance, this alliance between Lockheed and Boeing. And I explained how for many, many years, there was no innovation taking place at United Launch Alliance. Then came SpaceX. They talked about reusable rockets and lowering costs. Uh, and people at United Launch Alliance said, it's impossible. It can never be done. And now uh, SpaceX routinely recovers the, the first stage booster of all their Falcon 9, all, almost all of their Falcon 9 launches. The costs have been driven down almost 10 times uh, versus United Launch Alliance launch systems. And th that was what they were afraid of. So they would say, no, we can't do this. We don't have enough resources, blah, blah, blah. They don't, they don't want innovation because then it forces them, they themselves to take money that is going directly to profit. Then, then they have to divert that to research and development, which means smaller mar profit margins for them, which they don't, they don't want. And the problem in the United States is that you have pro entirely profit driven industries that don't actually care about the industries that they're in. It just so happens that United Launch Alliance makes rockets. They just want to extract as much wealth from that as possible. They don't care about innovation or progress. That, that is, that is the greatest danger to the sustainability of the United States. Not, not growth. Growth is necessary. Innovation is necessary. And anyone standing in the way of it, that, that is the danger to human civilization. Brian Bilicic, I'll be back with you in a moment. My name is Jim. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. What you're about to hear is worse than fake news. It's dangerous. It's made up baloney. And it's designed to instill fear and hatred. Here's real-time host Bill Maher. So here's something really scary. Mike Johnson, he's the Republican Party new head chief over there in the House. Uh, this came out, he was talking to a prayer group. He said, depraved America deserves God's wrath, came out there. Exactly sounds like Bin Laden. Now, yeah. the, now the Republican guy sounds like Bin Laden. And Trump sounds like Hitler. And here's the disgraceful former Republican congressman, Adam Kinzinger. When you look at who the Taliban is, and the Taliban is all about, hey, we want to take Sharia law, this, this thing that we believe in, we want to religiously implement this into our government. There is no difference between Christian nationalism, which is what he's representing, right. than the Taliban. Now, maybe the end is different, maybe yes. the means are different. Now, these statements would be true if Mike Johnson were calling for a massive terrorist attack against all Americans. And if he was planning on 
uh, taking away his the rights of, of, of everyone who doesn't agree with his religious beliefs, women, gays, everyone who doesn't agree with his religious beliefs. And if Donald Trump were throwing people into ovens and gas chambers from the concentration camps, which of course, none of which exist. So uh, until then, till these are true, these fear-mongering inciters uh, should just give it a rest. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malzberg. Listen to my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. Internet crimes against children in New Mexico are real. And when it comes to protecting your children, the New Mexico AG's office and the ICAC unit are on the front lines. I'm New Mexico Attorney General Hector Balderas. There's nowhere to hide for online predators in New Mexico. We are working tirelessly using state-of-the-art technology and resources to seek out and find them wherever they are. Please talk to your children about the dangers that exist online, social media, games, and messenger apps. It's always important to know who you're talking to. Help fight online predators in New Mexico by submitting a tip today. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Brian, uh, as you heard now during the break, uh, Murray made a, a very, very interesting point. Um, we were talking about electricity. Now, as you know, I live in South Africa and we have constant rolling blackouts. Uh, it could average between six to 10 hours per day. At the moment, it's on, it's on around about two hours per day. But yes, the thing, there, there, are, there are two options, right? Either we just let it happen and we sink and it's game over for the entire country or we find a way out. Yes, and and that goes for any country. Uh, here in Thailand, and actually the infrastructure here is, I would say, it's excellent. I think a, a lot of people come to Thailand with different expectations. They imagine that it's uh, some third world country, but actually, infrastructure here is is very good, and it, it has it has been built up over the decades. It didn't happen overnight. Uh, the the government, and more specifically, the monarchy is committed to building infrastructure and they they will not go for this uh, rationing and and just do without uh, they were building dams across the rivers and hydropower is a huge component of of Thai, Thai the you know the mix of what is producing Thai, Thai electricity and there's also a lot of solar power use so blackouts are are very rare in Bangkok, I mean, the power will in a storm will go out for five minutes and it'll be right back on. I, I don't ever remember in the city, but if you're outside the city, maybe an hour and a half, maybe something like that. Once in a while, you just get uh, some car, uh, two car batteries in a solar panel and you just keep it on on standby and you can you can overcome that. And so. Uh, as technology advances, it becomes cheaper and cheaper. Uh, 10 or 20 years ago, I, I would never have been interested in buying anything solar. Uh, but now everything is so cheap, so accessible. There's so much knowledge out there among ordinary people who are just using it and sharing this information. I talked about open source. That's when you're, you're designing and building projects collaboratively with everyone else online. No one is claiming intellectual property. They share the information. It makes everybody's life a lot easier. You have corporations with R&D departments. We don't have the ability to do that. Instead, we collaborate online. Uh, I think, Jeremy, you were talking about uh, the internet and how how far that has gone over the last, say, mm -hmm. 10 or 20 years ago. And if you, you think about that, how that has enabled ordinary people at, at the ground level to do things that 20, 30, 40 years ago, you'd have to have been a millionaire with a newsroom, a printing press, a studio yes. 
Uh, now I can just do it sitting in my my desk chair, my folding table. I literally just have like a ordinary folding table that I do all my work on, and I can and I can reach people all around the globe. And so that's what technology does. It it empowers us. It it extends our ordinary limited abilities in almost unlimited ways. And that that's how you have to look at each problem. Each problem is an opportunity to develop a solution. There's many ways to do it. Uh, you know, South, South yeah. Africa, surely the, the day will come where they can build infrastructure and resolve this once and for all. Maybe that that is already happening, but then ordinary people can collaborate and work on this at a local level. And I think that mix of local and regional, uh, you know, uh, provincial and then national level, all, all of these people working together, that that's how we're going to overcome all of these so-called limits to growth. Yeah, just on that though, um, and I know that this kind of comment will will occur, but they'll say something like, yes, but the reason why you have roading blackouts is because of oligarchical control. And that could be the case. It could be a, a, um, a combination of design and emergence why we have um, a power grid failure. The point, Brian, is that even if that is true and most likely is, do we just sit and be victims? No, we innovate, we, we make a plan we find ways to repower our lives. And the, the silver lining is that we end up learning to become more self-reliant. Uh, absolutely. And, and that's another thing that I, I, I have actually learned here in Thailand, the, the monarchy. A lot of people have misconceptions about the Thai monarchy. They just imagine that it's just an Asian version of European monarch. But uh, the Thai monarchy has invested uh, huge amounts of time and resources in promoting self-sufficiency. So farmers are encouraged and they're not encouraged to just live without digging the dirt for their food. No, they're encouraged to get technology, adopt technology, advance technology, collaborate with one another. Uh, if you can't afford the piece of equipment and your neighbor cannot, maybe you can get together and uh, the community can can use it, especially if it's something like a harvester that's just used once one time a year. Uh, they're, they're adopting uh, drones to, to help speed up certain processes. And so it self-sufficiency uh, at a local level is highly encouraged here and it makes society so much more resilient. So when uh, the IMF was ravaging Thailand and, and the rest of Southeast Asia in the, the 1990s, people on their farms, they they did not have it. They were still able to feed themselves. They were still able to lead normal lives. Uh, the, the so-called pandemic, that was another crisis for many around the world, for people in the city, living in the city that can't get to their jobs, but for farmers, they hardly notice anything happened. A lot more people were ordering. They have on, um, you know, they were encouraged to sell their products online rather than just at local markets to expand their reach. They're actually selling more. They they actually were able to expand their business. So, uh, Jeremy, it's so important that people understand self sufficiency and leveraging technology can be done. It is being done all around the world. There are governments out there that actually encourage it. And if your government does not, that is a problem. That's what people should be standing up and uh, protesting and and then doing something about. And you don't need the government's permission to collaborate with one another on things like technology and, you know, solving these these infrastructure problems locally. Uh, that's what we should be putting our time and energy into, not uh, being sucked into, say, the culture war like a black hole, that that's all yeah. you do all day. And at the end of the day, have you actually improved your the, your physical well-being or the, the tangible 
uh, aspects of civilization around you? And the answer is no, we have to improve that. The fact that it's all unraveling in the West is what gives rise to, you know, if these people have t so much time on their hands to to look into these, these cultural divides that distract yeah. us, you know, yeah. spend your time actually trying to solve real problems. Yeah, I mean, well, okay, so uh, you, you're a socialist. Oh, no, you're a left-winger. Okay, so we're going to cause a fight now. You know, let's yes. let's have an argument over over ideologies. Uh, you, uh, you know, it, it, there's always a divide and control tactic. And ultimately, you end up losing sight of who your real enemy is. Absolutely. And uh, people might not know this, but I'm an industrial designer by trade. It's actually what I... Lo actually love doing is very satisfying work. I, I do uh, geopolitics and, and alternative media because I, I feel it's necessary, but I, I really don't enjoy doing it. But I, I had run or participated in workshops where we were trying to solve a, a very specific problem, maybe for farmers or maybe for healthcare. And you get all these people together with all different backgrounds, and we never talk about politics. I don't care if you're left or right. We're trying to solve this very specific thing technical problem and we bring all of our knowledge and abilities together to solve it and we solve it and we never had to talk about politics even one time and we could come back and we could do that repeatedly and never even know where the other stands on certain issues because it's irrelevant we're solving real problems rather than fighting and creating artificial problems which serves the interest the the, the ruling elite it serves them when we you know, we divide ourselves. They don't, you know, it's a very hands-off process for them at that point when mm. we, when we're determined to divide our, ourselves amongst each other. Brian, why do you think so many people are, what's the right phrase? Consumers of crises, if that makes sense. In other words, there's always something that they need to dedicate all day on and, and just lose sight. Why is it so appealing? Do you think? It's hard to say. I think uh, for me personally, I, I used to be exactly like that before I became more proactive. And uh, again, coming to Thailand, I learned so much from the Thai people and their this idea of self-sufficiency and being technically competent in something, having a real jo uh, job skill, not uh, you know uh, philosophy or some sort of liberal art, actually being able to physically change the world around you in a useful way. And so when you start learning how to do woodworking, electronics, 3D design, 3D printing, you're actually able to make physical solutions to your problems. Uh, it becomes very unappealing to just wallow in, in misery and hopelessness. You just yeah. say, well, this is the problem. What is the solution? Let's, let's get a piece of paper out and start working on the solution. I think it's a feeling of hopelessness and, and helplessness that many people have. So to summarize this entire conversation in one sentence, it's essentially uh, stop being a loser and be a winner. Yes, and, and do it yourself. And I know that's an oversimplification and there's a lot more to it than that. But uh, honestly, the internet is an incredible resource. It's mm. a summation of human knowledge at our fingertips. Let's, let's use it to improve ourselves. And then we can use it to improve our families, our communities. And, and again, there's this cliche about change, you know, your corner, if you want to change the world, change your corner of the world. It's actually true. It's actually true. Yeah. If you, if yeah. you work with your neighbors and you, your community is strong and resilient and everyone has each other's back if the power goes out or if there's some 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 issue everyone's growing food i mean here in thailand everyone is growing at least certain a certain percentage of their food even if you're in a, a little tiny place like i have 
you at least have like one or two fruit trees. I keep egg laying chickens uh, and, and, you know, everyone shares, everyone knows their neighbors, that sense of community, local, you know, local power. Don't, don't send your entire monthly paycheck to a multinational corporation on Wall Street. Keep it local. Give it to to other people in your community. Uh, Wall Street is so strong because we all send out all, all of our time, money, and energy, and even attention in terms of media to them. And if we kept it locally, locally, we'd be much stronger. They would be much weaker. It's a, it's a matter of how to redirect those resources. The rise of multipolarism over this Western unipolar world order is not China and Russia and other nations complaining until the US gives them their way. They're building alternatives. They build their own aircraft companies that manufacture airliners to compete with uh, Airbus and Boeing. Uh, they have their, their own infrastructure, their own financial institutions. They create alternatives and they put all their time and energy into that rather than sending it to Wall Street in London. All right, Brian, uh, time is starting to run against us. So let's quickly talk about uh, how I can follow your work. Uh, just just go to YouTube under each videos, uh, a list of other places you can find and follow my work. I highly suggest Telegram because I can post everything on there without worries of censorship. Uh, and I post full videos on there as a backup for YouTube. And, and thank you for having me on. Well, which is your channel? <laughs> Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The new Atlas. <laughs> the new Atlas. Just type in the new Atlas into YouTube. <laughs> you. Yeah, there we go. That's that's self sufficiency for uh, self sufficiency for you. Go and try and figure out where Brian's <laughs> brand yes. is. <laughs> yes. Brian Vertic, thank you so much for joining me in the trenches. Thank you. All right. Uh, do send me an email, germwarfare uh, at uh, t tntradio.live. Give me feedback. Give me um, hate mail if you want. I don't mind. Uh, tell me what you thought of the show. I must tell you, I do enjoy chatting very much uh, to to Brian. Um, I love his his sober take on most things. Uh, and um, look, his geopolitics is just next level. Uh, so absolutely go go check out the new Atlas. Got a ton of videos to watch, and uh, it'll take you months to get through his his archive but um brian's work is just brilliant and i love the the silver lining aspect to to what uh to what brian does so i will absolutely have you back brian uh very soon in fact we'll chat about other stuff but do go and um and do a little bit of homework go and go and figure out what this limits to growth thing is it's a very interesting uh subject that a lot of people just don't talk about um and and it does explain a lot of what's going on around us. It, it puts into perspective um, the control mechanisms. Uh, Catherine Austin Fitz refers to it as a control grid. There's a whole framework of ways in which to extract our freedoms and extract um, our, our wealth and all that sort of thing. And if you are aware of it, if you can see what's going on, it does make your day-to-day -day living a little bit easier. Um, then you don't have to live in fear. And that's the whole big thing. I'm all about silver linings. I'm all about being white pulled. I'm all about solutions and not not losing. I, I like being a winner, and that's why I like talking to to Brian. All right, uh, that is me done for the day. I'll catch you tomorrow. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.